Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Roto World Football Podcast. I am Matt Straub. Today, we're bringing you a game-by-game preview of Wild Card Weekend. We've got six games to cover, four human beings here to do it. I'm joined by John Daigle, Pat Darty, Hayden Winks. Guys, I want to address the elephant in the room right away here, and that is what I believe to be an enormous chasm in years between me and Hayden. I've listened to the podcast all year, heard the jokes about Hayden's age. Last week, you guys were joking that Hayden was too young to know who Julius Thomas was. I was 60 years old when Julius Thomas had his breakout <laughs> season in 2013. So I just, I guess I just wanted to address that right off the bat. Did Julius Thomas had like 14 touchdowns or something crazy that one year? If Peyton I remember Manning. Peyton yeah. Manning year, yeah. yeah he had 14, I, I can barely remember that. Yes. He had like 14 touchdowns and like 500 yards. It was like the ultimate Robert Tunyon season. It was Robert Tunyon fully realized. Uh, he, Julius Thomas inspired my first regression model. I knew that he wasn't going to be able to repeat that one, so I had to get that started back in 2012 or whatever it was. Also, Matt, you'll come to realize that it's not just Hayden's age. Uh, he was working in the Chargers front office trying to get an analytics gig at the time when basically comedy and everything was popular. So he knows nothing before 2008. It's not his age. He was just doing something else. That's why we continue to make fun of him. Got outside it. of Got Will it. Ferrell and Napoleon Dynamite, I will get Literally. all of those re- references. Outside of that, <laughs> I'm not sure. And you're only going to bring two right. pieces of the cultural, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it from those years, Napoleon Dynamite and Will Ferrell are two good places to start. Thank Even you. though you should catch up on Office Space. Yeah. It holds up. It does. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, guys, let's get into it. We're going to hit these games chronologically. Three games Saturday. Three on Sunday. So we start on Saturday with the early game. 11-5 and five Colts at the 13-3 and three Bills. Bills are favored by 6.5, a total of 51, the second highest of the weekend. Buffalo coming off that 56-26 demolition of the Dolphins, won nine of their last 10. They averaged nearly 38 points per game the second half of the season, Pat. 
you know, we, we heard so much about the Colts defense throughout the year, but with the way this Buffalo offense is playing, Josh Allen and Buffalo, can this defense do enough to slow down the Buffalo attack? So, yeah, I mean, first off, congrats to the Bills, the number two seed. You get the 1 p.m. Eastern Saturday game uh, for your first home playoff game in 25 years and being like a truly elite team in the second half of the season. That's how they get treated. Uh, so, I mean, this is one I've been wondering about because the, the Colts defense can kind of be – is it overrated, John and Hayden? Like, I mean, it's a really solid zone attack that can really – like uh, it really stamps out like bad teams. I feel like, but like I felt like it kind of sprung some leaks in the second half of the season. Maybe it's giving up more big plays than its reputation would suggest. And Josh Allen, so even at the beginning of the year, was kind of still like streaky. Josh Allen, the streaks like kind of disappeared in the second half of the season. Even with people coming in and out of the lineup, you know, John Brown missing a ton of time, Cole Beasley missing Week 17. Even when he thought he wasn't going to try in Week 17, he went nuts. Josh Allen enters the playoffs as the QB one, my fantasy points over the final five weeks. And I mean, the Colts still, they're not like an, what you view as like an attackable uh, matchup, but I mean, to me, it's more concerning matchup for the Colts uh, than it is for Josh Allen. And that's my takeaway here is that the bills offense right now is just unstoppable in particular, Josh Allen, that team has scored 38 points at least in their last three games they put up 26 remember against the Steelers in the, the week prior to take a dominant because uh, it didn't seem like the Steelers could come back at the time they didn't 23 to 7 lead midway through the third quarter and did all of that essentially without John Brown and so now coming into the uh, wild card round fully healthy with a defense that actually ranked number two in football outsiders DVOA metric over the second half of the season really all has come together for this team for a Super Bowl run. Yeah, one of my big takeaways while doing all this is just figuring out which teams are healthy and which teams aren't. We're talking about offensive line, defensive players, maybe some of the players that go overlooked. And the Bills might be the healthiest AFC team right now, especially with getting John Brown back. I'm expecting Cole Beasley's probably going to gut through this. And even if he's not out there, Gabriel Davis has done enough. I just, I'm expecting the Bills to run four wide. And good luck to the Colts, like cover two against a four wide scheme. Josh Allen could scramble a little bit. DeFore, it's basically comes down to could DeForest Buckner from the interior rush the quarterback. And that's very hard to do. DeForest Buckner is one of the best defensive tackles, but the Colts right now just don't have that much of an edge presence. And if you're going to attack Josh Allen, you have to keep him inside the pocket and you have to get him before he starts rolling out and throwing deep, deep balls to John Brown and those guys. So the Colts have their work cut out with them. I, I will say the one thing the Colts do bring they slow the game down. I, I know that we don't really like those type of like ball control stats and stuff, but the cover two defense does limit some of the big playability. Maybe you're going to have to see Josh Allen kind of take what's given to him more so than he has in the past. But I think that Josh Allen has improved enough in those areas that he can win a playoff game doing that. And that is something that we were not expecting coming into the year. It's so, like, Hey, like you said, the Colts probably making Josh Allen maybe settle for like shorter stuff is one re- like Cole Beasley does loom pretty large. I actually think Cole Beasley probably won't play. He didn't practice Tuesday. I can't remember his Wednesday status. Uh, he could try to gut it out. But speaking to the Bills, like being healthy, just being like a super deep team on both sides of the ball. I mean, Gabriel Davis is like the next man up from like a pure depth chart perspective. But Isaiah McKenzie is really kind of like a nice fill-in in the slot too. And the Bills are a team that's like they have answers. It seems like every position and they've got like the depth. Maybe people don't talk about the Bills depth, uh, at least on offense and they just seem like they have an answer for everything. When John Brown, John Brown going out used to be like, you know, like the death knell for the Bills offense. Or we thought like, how was Josh Allen going to respond to John Brown being out? And they just didn't miss a beat basically. 
and Cole Beasley is super important, but even if he doesn't play, I think Isaiah McKenzie and Gabriel Davis will more than enough make up for it. Well, John Brown had four catches for 72 yards and a score in his first game in over six weeks. We talked so much about the Bills passing game here. Quickly, the rushing game. They haven't had a 100-yard rusher all season. Daigle, are we pretty much ignoring Bills running backs this weekend? Yeah, they're not in any fantasy pools that involve playoff contest. Uh, We've seen time and time again this year, Brian Dayball uses play action at the fourth highest rate in the league, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't entail using your running backs, which is what I still believe more commentators and broadcasters should talk about more, that the pass sets up the run, not the opposite way around, because broadcasters in that booth love establishing the run. They love it. I will say that the the Colts defense, I'm guessing what they're going to say, they're going to drop as many guys back as they can and dare Buffalo to run the ball. But like we've seen, Buffalo is like 75, 80% neutral pass rate in some of these games. And I am expecting the playoffs. That's where they're going to be at. I would be shocked if they even try to run the ball at all, even if the Colts are daring them to do so, because that's just going to take the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. And like Daigle said, you you want the ball in the quarterback's hands, not not Devin Singletary, Zach Moss. Those guys are like forgettable running back talents in my opinion. The, the way the Colts win is obviously through Jonathan Taylor. Uh, maybe not even slowing the game down, just that is your most explosive player on offense. We've seen T.Y. Hilton roller coaster production second half of the year. Sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. Michael Pittman in and out of the lineup over the second half with a concussion, but Taylor has been the one consistent, has avoided over double the amount of tackles according to PFF in his last six games on a similar amount of touches as he did through his first nine. The light came on. Something clicked Clearly, he just became a better and more patient overall runner. Uh, again, though, this is a much better Bills defense through the second half of the season as well. So, yeah, I still love the Bills in this game outright. Yeah, Pat, where do you land on Taylor? We saw him go absolutely nuts the final month of the season, as Daigle said. 560 rushing yards over his final four games, 6.7 yards per carry, seven touchdowns. Do you think the barrage can continue for Taylor against the Bills? Well, John's right that if they're going to win, it's going to have to. Like that is like their means to victory. And John's also right. The Bills defense has been coming together in the second half of the season, but was not like an overly imposing run defense this year. And just like the Bills' weakness, so to speak, if you want to call it that, certainly aligns with the Colts' recent strength. And Jonathan Taylor basically been like Wisconsin Jonathan Taylor over like the past five or six weeks, consistently moving the chain. So even on the runs that aren't big plays, He's getting like three, four, five yards. And the big plays that were totally absent in the first half of the season have been like a weekly occurrence. Like this is the player they thought they were drafting, just playing a gear faster than he was earlier in the season and playing a gear faster um, than the defense. And Phillip Rivers, kind of a heroic performance. And second half of the season, he's gutting it out on like one foot, playing through like a, a horrible toe injury. This has to be on Jonathan Taylor. I mean, Phillip Rivers – it's just going to be very tough because Phillip Rivers at this point is not built to have a shootout with Josh Allen. And I think if the Colts don't get like a few big plays from Jonathan Taylor, it's just going to be very, very difficult for them to keep up with the Bills. Game two on Saturday features the Rams at 10 and six at the Seahawks, 12 and four. The Seahawks favored by three and a half points, a total of just 43 points in this game, the lowest of wild card weekend. You can split the Seahawks season into pre- two pretty distinct halves, and that's really clear just when you look at one number, Russell Wilson's passing touchdowns. 28 touchdown passes in the first half, 12 in the second half. Hayden, is there any reason for you to think that the blueprint changes for Seattle at some point, or are they just going to try to grind it out and make this ugly in the playoffs? 
Well, I do think their defense has improved. Like they've they played some really easy qu- quarterbacks and just offenses in general. But I do think that they've gotten healthier, and that will help. I'm watching Jamal Adams' status; he's questionable. They're not going to have Jerron Reed, which is a big problem for uh, defensive tackle, especially against the Rams, who can run the ball pretty well right now. I, I hope it goes back to Russell Wilson, but I, I do think that there's an element that they got Chris Carson back. They got the defense playing better, and then there's kind of going to be a, in the middle of the pack and neutral pass rate. When these two teams combined, or their two games this year, they've, they had one passing touchdown between Russell Wilson and Jared Goff with more interceptions. Like these are, these are two pretty good defenses. I mean, specifically with the Rams, they're one of the best defenses in the league. So I'm expecting this to be more of a kind of grinded out game, especially if we don't have a fully healthy Jared Goff. And I'm expecting this to be one of the lower scoring games of the week. Certainly. But I think both of these teams could make a playoff run. I think they have plenty of talent on both sides of the ball. So I'm intrigued by the matchup still. Letting Russ cook in the first half of the season, uh, the end result was, as Matt said, the uh, lowest total for the wild card round of the playoffs. So mission accomplished, everybody. Uh, nothing fun can ever happen, ever. Uh, yeah, Russell Wilson. So this is you know just a very complex matchup for a lot of reasons you guys both laid out. I mean, we don't know the health of the Rams quarterback. Uh, we don't know the health of the most important Seahawks player, Jamal Adams. I'm assuming he's going to play. I mean, this seems like this could be a debilitating shoulder injury, and he, he might not be anywhere close to 100%. And so that whole second half resurgence of the season, it really was almost all schedule-related. But the Seahawks, they weren't even suppressing, like, bad defenses in the first half of the season. So it was progress, but a lot of it had to do with, you know, Jamal Adams living up to, like, the trade price they played for him. And if he's not healthy, that's, like, almost as big of a variable as uh, Jared Goff, I feel like. And – this I just don't know what to expect from this game because the injury. I, I know not to expect Seahawks passing theatrics. I just think the Rams seem to have even kind of before the season he had some trouble against the Rams, having J- Jalen Ramsey to lock down DK Metcalf and whatever's going on with Tyler Lockett. Was he healthy in the second half of the season? I don't know if we'll ever really know that. One of the hardest games really for me to have anything intelligent to say about this weekend. And that's just it. Perhaps because of injury, but Russ has not cooked. And Russ has not been allowed in the kitchen from week 10 on. Remember, they had the highest pass play rate in neutral game script through week nine. And then from week 10 on, the second half of the season, middle of the pack, literally 16th overall. In that span, they've eclipsed four scores, 28 points, and only one game. Not even a threatening or scary offense. Meanwhile, to Hayden's point, you mentioned the schedule. It's really just the quarterbacks they face. Since week 11, they played Kyler Murray, who, remember, suffered that shoulder injury mid-game and couldn't throw downfield. Carson Wentz, who was benched. Colt McCoy, who shouldn't be a backup. Sam Darnold, who's going to be on another team. Dwayne Haskins, who's not even in the league right now. Jared Goff, who was injured. And then C.J. Beathard last week. Literally, just no one. And so I am very concerned, especially because the money line number in this game has actually decreased in favor of the Rams. I think it's a wash, genuinely. I think it's a wash if, if Wolford's under center. If only because if... Seattle's front seven has performed better. He can at least, he at least has the legs and can avoid pressure with rushing upside. Whereas we know once the pocket breaks down, uh, former Roto World member, maybe you haven't heard of him, Josh Norris would always say that golf clearly cannot operate outside of a broken pocket. Whereas Wolford can at least make something happen. So if even if he's under center, I do think the Rams are very threatening in this spot. I will say there we're getting some good offensive line returns. Uh, the Seahawks, and this kind of goes plays into those splits where they were cooking and they're not. Right tackle Brandon Shell, who's actually graded out very well this year. Mm-hmm. He hasn't played since week 10, or he's played one game since week 10. He should be back. Mikey Potty's going to be back for, for the Seahawks. 
And it looks like we're going to get Andrew Whitworth possibly coming back from his knee injury for the Rams as well. So if there is, if you're looking to try to bet an over, maybe this could be the one if you're getting better offensive line talent out there. And maybe we saw Tyler Lockett pop for a big game in week 17. Hopefully that's a sign because he has to step up because Jalen Ramsey has been shutting down DK Metcalf and everybody. Metcalf in the two games this year against the Rams, 28 yards, 59 yards. So it's going to fall onto Tyler Lockett because I think Jalen Ramsey might be the best defensive player in the league. Uh, he almost gets overlooked by Aaron Donald. Jalen Ramsey removes your first receiver, and that's so valuable to me. So And and he clearly did that in the first two games against Metcalf. Just bagged him. Uh, also, remember Cam Akers last week with Walford under center did out-touch Malcolm Brown 25-4 to despite returning from a high ankle sprain. So I would imagine in this game that we expect to be lower scoring, slower paced, that they lean on him yet again. Playing into all that, too, is the Seahawks' backfield being at full strength like the first time and forever. Mm-hmm. Carlos Hyde, who supposedly didn't have coronavirus, is back. And Rashad Penny, who's been kind of mixing in the final three games this season. So it's all conspiring against uh, definite not cooking um, from Russell Wilson. <laughs> I want to follow up on two threads that you guys you guys uh, started there. Cam Akers, as you said, Daigle, got a ton of work. 21 carries for just 34 yards. Added four for 52 through the air. Are we optimistic that maybe, you know, another week removed from that high ankle sprain, Hayden, he, you know, he might be a little bit better. And can we trust that workload? Yeah, I would say that's pretty clear to me. And I also think that Jared Goff returning, I, I do like that Walford could scramble around the pocket, but I, I do think that Jared Goff is just a better quarterback still. And that would open uh, up some running lanes for Cam Akers. But Cam Akers performed very well this season. Like he didn't get all the touches. He was kind of a bust for fantasy purposes. But on his limited touches, he was pretty explosive. So I I think getting Andrew Whitworth back, getting Jared Goff back, getting another week removed, I I think that this game will kind of more or less fall onto Cam Akers' back. Quickly on Tyler Lockett, he had that 15-catch, 200-yard, three-touchdown explosion against the Cardinals back in Week 6. Since then, he has gone over over 70 yards one time. That was last week. 12 catches, 90 yards, two scores against the Niners. Daigle, do you think there's a chance that that was the start of anything or is it just Tyler Lockett is chaos and and we don't know when he's going to hit? I think there's a chance that Pat assigned me six of those in a row on purpose and I had to (laughs) fill out the same blurb every single week. Hey, Tyler Lockett didn't do anything. He didn't get past 70 yards yet again. Um, We saw this a similar stretch last year where he was had the flu. Remember, he didn't tell anyone until after the season. And I genuinely think there was that knee injury he suffered around week eight or nine that stunted his development this year. Last week, he looked great. Again, I had to watch the game last week as well. And Metcalf was shut down, whereas Lockett seemed to always be open despite their offense not really being too explosive uh, until their final three possessions. So if that is a thing, uh, sign of things to come, of course, they started throwing more because they were down and had to. It was a must-win game. If they played their neutral game script, run the ball stuff, I'm not. I'm really not sure that goes well in this game. It genuinely is the worst-case matchup for the first round for the Seahawks. I was just going to say, watching the Seahawks was originally supposed to be a reward, and you just kind of didn't realize, I didn't realize that it was turning into less of a reward in the second half of the season. All right, let's move on to the nightcap on Saturday. We've got the 11-5 and Bucks on the road to face the NFC East champions, the 7-9 Washington football team. Brady and Tampa favored by 8.5, total of 45. Obviously, Mike Evans' status is a big storyline on the Tampa side of things. As we're recording this on Wednesday, we don't know exactly whether Evans is going to play or not. Hayden, let's assume the Bucs decide to hold Evans out. Is this as simple as 
Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown become the centerpiece and just absolutely get peppered with targets? Yeah, absolutely. I'll also throw in Gronk there. The Washington's got a couple really young uh, safeties right now. I think they've combined for like 700 career covered snaps between the two of them. And they don't have that much linebacker play either. So I, I can I can see Rob Gronkowski, who looks pretty good, uh, much better than he was looking in the first half of the season. He could sprinkle in for a good game. It's not just the Mike Evans injury, though. Devin White's out on the COVID list. Carlton Davis didn't practice on Tuesday. Um, but at the same time, Washington's just they're, – they're still a year away. And, like, everyone knows that. That's why the point spread's still eight points, even with that, these uh, injuries on the Bucks side of the ball. I, I think the Bucks' offensive line is good enough to contain Chase Young and Montez Sweat and the rest of the guys up there. It's one of the few teams that actually has the offensive line that should hold up for the most part, especially when you have Tom Brady uh, just picking apart all these young defenders on the back end. So I like the Bucks to cover. I think they're one of the most dangerous teams in the playoffs just because, quite frankly, Tom Tom Brady looks really good. He played like a top 10 quarterback all, all year, especially in the second half of the season, and um, he's just been outplaying expectations as a 43-year-old. Much better since the bye, but the matchup – between Washington's front seven and Brady behind the pot in the pocket is clearly the one we're watching here. Uh, Brady this year under pressure was still absolutely miserable. 57 of 130, 5.1 yards per attempt, 33rd overall in completion rate when under pressure, whereas Washington wrapped up the year with the sixth highest pressure rate created in the league. So that is the matchup here. And if Brady is under pressure, uh, I actually think Washington cover. I don't know how they'll move the ball, especially after they tried losing the NFC East with all <laughs> they could do on Sunday night but if everyone comes out healthy and they can get Brady under pressure I don't think it's as easy of a win as we perceive it to be um, even though the Bucks have been clicking against soft matchups of course the past three games so yeah I, I agree fully with your take on it John because so first off it's good that Tom Brady is shredding bad defenses mm-hmm. uh, that's what he was doing it was the Falcons the Lions the Falcons again and then the Vikings it's the heater that he ended the season on the two weeks before that, what it was the chiefs and Rams, I think where he looked like, you know, decrepit 43 year old Tom Brady and struggled against some like football team type. Remember he almost lost to the giants like two months ago. And it was still very positive that he got on track. And that's what you're supposed to do, but against bad defenses, you're supposed to get on track and have big days. So it was a very positive development still, but I mean, yeah, I'm not going to take it as like an article of faith that Tom Brady's super hot play from the final month is going to carry over. But just that being said, I mean, the football team, uh, they, they just can't move the ball. I mean, mm-hmm. Alex Smith, it's a great heartwarming story, obviously. I mean, he looked like he shouldn't be on the field last week. I mean, it was kind of embarrassing. He just looked like he could not move. He certainly could not move the offense. And I, I think the Buck. I agree with Hayden. I think the Bucks will end up covering. I, I agree with John where I don't think it might be super pretty. But I think they'll end up covering. And I almost think for a team that is this Super Bowl or bust, they probably won't leave anything to chance. But a team this Super Bowl or bust, I could almost see them playing for the greater good and maybe holding out Mike Evans in an effort to get him as healthy as possible for the divisional. They probably won't do that. They probably won't take any chances during the playoffs. But I wouldn't be shocked if Mike Evans was at the very least like very limited and maybe a decoy. One other potentially important name before we try to extract something from this Washington football team offense. I want to talk about Ronald Jones real quick. He returned from the COVID list and a broken finger last week, went for 12 carries, 78 yards, and a score on the ground. Hayden, with the Bucks favored to win here by a lot, do you think Rojo is in a good spot here? Do you like him to build on that and have another big game? 
Yeah, I would guess in the playoffs, they're going to lean even more so on Ronald Jones compared to Leonard Fournette. I think Leonard Fournette will be active just because they can't get anything out of LaShawn McCoy. But in this game, with the game script on their side, I, I would expect Ronald Jones to get 15-plus carries plus all the goal line work. And just going back to like the game in general, I mean, the football team is projected for 18.5 implied points. I Honestly, I just don't see them getting there with that. Alex Smith averaged 5.1 yards per attempt. Andy can't run. He had zero rushing yards. And that's kind of the one thing that you would get with Alex Smith is like we knew he was going to be a below average passer, but at least he'll move the chains a couple times a game uh, just by scrambling around the pocket. It doesn't seem like that's going to be an option right now. So uh, I can see this Bucks game being like 27 to 14, and it wasn't the craziest offensive performance from Tom Brady and Ronald Jones and all them. But I, I can see them winning just very comfortably just because Washington can't move the football. That's an interesting storyline, too, because then they would probably come out and play the Packers, who is the the one team they have stifled completely this year. Also, quick note on Ronald Jones, if you're playing any fantasy playoff contest, I think he's a good out-of-the-box thought. Uh, Bruce Arians came out on Monday and said the whole reason he wasn't involved more is because they saw what they needed to see. He came off the COVID list, he was explosive, and they took him off the field. Unlike Antonio Brown, who Brady called three shovel passes for to get him a 250k incentive for x amount of catches at the end of the year ronald jones didn't get a bonus for a thousand yard milestone so they just saw what they needed to do and moved on so i do think he gets 20 plus touches in this game yeah 11 catches 138 yards and two touchdowns for antonio brown in the finale quickly guys pat any washington skill players that you would even remotely consider in dfs i mean antonio gibson was dealing with a toe injury terry mclaurin scored against Philly, anyone you would put into a lineup? Yeah, and like normal circumstances for the the Washington offense, because the Bucks defense is really banged up right now as we laid out some COVID issues. Carlton Davis like hasn't been healthy for like a while, is gutting through lots of things. Could kind of maybe into like uh, the Bucks single people up a lot. It could have been like a big day for Terry McLaurin if he was healthy, but you know, what was it, seven catches for 40 yards this week? He didn't look anywhere close to 100% healthy. Antonio Gibson certainly didn't look anywhere close to 100% healthy. So it's really hard to like pinpoint like any of the DFS upside here. Is it not for the football team? This you know, we have could have a quarterback rotation. It's the slight. It's very very So if you're going to the only Washington football team DFS bets I feel like you can make is just having to bet on Antonio Gibson's and Terry McLaurin's talent and praying they're just enough healthier than they were last week cuz other than that every individual setup is bad. And only because of the position uh, Logan Thomas will probably be a good pivot off Gronkowski. But again, uh, DFS sites, unsurprisingly, didn't split them up or, or did split them up as opposed to giving us one six-game slate. They made two three-game slates for more rank, of course. And that means that Gronk and Logan Thomas on this ugly day we just talked about are the number one and number two tight ends. Well, as you know, if you're listening to this, it is time to get ready for Super Wildcard Weekend for the first time ever, two days of triple headers, Super Wildcard Weekend kicks off this Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. It is going to be one wild wildcard weekend. Learn more at nfl.com slash schedule. I got to take a sip of this and then we'll move on. We just do that on camera, Matt. Um, oh, you don't say it? You don't say you're going to take <laughs> a sip of your drink? All right, let's move to Sunday. A game I think, unlike the one we just talked about, we are all very much looking forward to gets things started on Sunday I guess kind of inexplicably, this is the first game of the day. The 11-5 Ravens at the 11-5 Titans. Total of 55 in this one, highest of the weekend. Ravens favored by three. Of course, a rematch of last year's divisional playoffs, which the Titans won. These two teams also met in week 11, an overtime win for Tennessee Hayden. 
Derrick Henry ran for 133 yards and a score in that game, that game when he scores in overtime. What do you expect from Henry as these teams meet yet again? A couple injury notes to go over. Left guard Roger Saffold is questionable, and he's going to be a quote-unquote close call. That would be a big loss because the Titans are already missing a lot of guys on the offensive line. Of course, Derrick Henry just runs you right over and stiff-arms you into the second row. Um, so it doesn't really matter too much, but um, I think ro- losing Roger Saffold would be a big deal if he can't go. And we're seeing the Ravens also get super healthy on both sides of the ball. I know they lost Ronnie Stanley, but their front seven looks uh, a little bit healthier right now, especially up front. I think Brandon Williams had been playing better, their nose tackle. So he, it's basically going to be Roger Saffold versus this interior defensive line for the Ravens with Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams. I think they have a chance to slow down Derrick Henry, like, within reason like you can only slow down derrick henry so much um but i I do like the Ravens side i think they're really clicking and the titans defense just they're missing so many pieces right now i I would rather trust the ravens defense over the titans defense certainly to slow down derrick henry versus the other way around the the issue is the titans don't have a defense they don't have any playmakers and if they do they're all injured uh the third fewest sacks at the end of the year the second lowest pressure rate only ahead of the lions who as we know were banged up since week seven just fell apart completely and meanwhile the ravens in their last five games since lamar jackson came off the COVID list haven't performed or haven't averaged fewer than 6.4 yards per play in any game in that span they are absolutely rolling and it certainly helps that they will continue to keep mark ingram healthy scratch because now this is strictly a jay K. Dobbins, to a lesser extent, a Gus Edwards show with Lamar Jackson almost concertedly feeding Marquise Brown um, and other receivers around him. So, yeah, it's the Ravens offense really that's rolling here, and I think that's the star of this show. I understand the Titans have beat them two of their last three games, but I'm fairly confident that the Ravens dominate in this game. Wait, you guys don't think there's going to be any carryover from the playoff game that happened 12 months ago <laughs> uh, where the Titans beat a – I will say, so when it comes to Derrick Henry and the Ravens, the Ravens, you know, look, you look at their raw, like, rushing total stats against, they have a good run defense, but they, they allowed over four and a half yards per carry. And the reason, like, their numbers look good, they faced the third fewest rushes of any team in the league because even with their chaos, they were always playing with the lead and always in positive game script. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if Derrick Henry was could get established and get some big runs against the Ravens. I don't think it's, like, a super foreboding run defense like Hayden said, Roger Saffold would be a huge loss. And the Ravens, I mean, we're seeing – we finally saw it took two or three months. I mean, the Ravens picked up – after they got over their coronavirus chaos, they picked up where they left off last year. And this is a team I mean, hitting on all cylinders and looking like a doom machine again. And the Titans' offense is one of the best in the NFL. But, yeah, if you're looking for the weakness in this game, and it's just unquestionably the Titans' defense. And it's just a horrible, horrible unit. And I think it'll be a slugfest and clearly the Titans like understand how to play the Ravens. But at the end of the day, I just do not think the Titans will be able to overcome their defense and the Ravens are going to win. And we, we talk about the Ravens offense just firing on all cylinders going into this week. They're also getting just healthier in the back. I mean, Yannick Ngakwe is going to be, has a good chance to return this week. Jimmy Smith also has a good chance to return at corner and Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey kind of been like in and out of the lineup, but they played last week and I'm expecting them to be, fully ready to go. So, I mean, the, the Ravens also just one of these teams that are just getting fully healthy. And we've seen the upside. I mean, last year, they were the best team in the regular season. This year, their peak has been among the best 
in the regular season as well. So um, I'm expecting big things from the Ravens this, this playoffs. And also for those that are just box score searching last year's game, like you got to, I know it looks bad, but you got to remember the game flipped on four plays, uh, fourth and short, the Titans stuffed the Ravens next play, play action bomb to Khalif Raymond for a touchdown. Again, Ravens come right back stuffed on fourth and short again, next play, another play action bomb. It was literally four plays that decided that game. It's much closer than the score appears. So again, uh, with the Titans defense being the weakest portion of any unit in this game. Yeah. I think the Ravens are pretty confidently favorites here. All right. Well, if that's the case, before we talk about the Ravens offense, I want to quickly talk about this Tennessee passing game. Ryan Tannehill has actually been living with his legs lately, five rushing touchdowns over the last three games, living off that read option. AJ Brown went four catches, 62 yards and a score. When these two teams first met Corey Davis really sputtered late, just 39 receiving yards total. The last two games, Pat, do you expect Tennessee, if they're trailing in this game, those guys to be able to produce? Well, see, when we get on uh, Boomer Narrative Street, Corey Davis had some drops last week. Uh, was confident. Well, where's confidence level be at? And yeah, I mean, I the Titans at this point, I can't believe I'm saying this, but they're the kind of passing attack that I think can make big plays against any defense. It's just so well designed. The play action attack is so lethal. And AJ Brown is just the kind of guy where. It doesn't really matter who you put on him because he's such a yak monster that he can just create the big plays um, no matter who he's facing. So I'm not I'm not worried about the Titans passing attack, even against this tough defense. It just all yeah, it all comes back to the Titans defense being what we have to worry about for Tennessee. The good news for A.J. Brown is that he's just getting jammed targets this year when Corey Davis is still on the field. Last year, that was our concern. He's, he was, wasn't getting targets. This year, it's really he's not getting too many catches, pretty much averaging just over four. But at the same time, he's seen at least six targets in every game he's played alongside Corey Davis. So Tannehill is still jamming it in there to him. I have an A.J. Brown theory because I've been like you know annoyed that the targets still aren't higher. What if it's just that I mean his targets are getting depressed because he just gets – so many long catches, so much yak that it artificially decreases his targets. And that's why he's not getting more targets. It's a good theory. He's just, he's too good. So he's, he's not good. getting that many targets. Actually, that actually isn't a bad theory, honestly. <laughs> he's devouring his own targets. Yeah, he's uh, let's cannibalizing his Raven. own target share. It's just really bad. I mean, and it doesn't help that Derek Henry busts off 70 yard runs himself, too. So, I mean, the, the, that's why the Titans are probably like what bottom five, bottom six in, in total plays this year because uh, they get the ball in the 25 yard line, they're already in the end zone. So. Yeah, these Titans big plays are the worst. Let's talk about the Ravens side of things. Well, you guys all expect the Ravens to be able to score at will on the Titans. So we know that means big things for Lamar Jackson. Let's talk about J.K. Dobbins for a second. Daigle, I'll throw this to you. I think you brought up Dobbins, six-game scoring streak, 495 yards in the ground and seven touchdowns during that stretch. Non-factor in the passing game, though. Does that concern you at all when it comes to trusting Dobbins and DFS this weekend? No, I, I don't mind that at all. Again, especially against a Titans front seven, I don't expect to stop the run. The key point here is that he is still averaged 13 touches per game in the last three games for Baltimore with Mark Ingram healthy scratch. So not that many, but at least he's explosive. Whereas those touches between him and the ones Edwards, Edwards is getting, even though Edwards, remember this past week, came in with a back injury, so got fewer touches. Um, at least they become more centralized towards two players as opposed to wasting six to eight on Mark Ingram. And that's what makes them both good plays. Dobbins, of course, 
is on the field for passing plays, but we know historically Lamar Jackson just doesn't check down. So you can't count on targets from them as well. Also with a, a six game touchdown streak, uh, those are the type of numbers we don't want to chase. Having said that, I think game script will be too good and will actually be in favor heavily of Dobbin. So yeah, I do like him this week. Hollywood Brown is also on a bit of a scoring binge. You guys brought him up as well. Six touchdowns in his last six games. Not a lot of yards, though. Only 56 yards a game during that streak. Pat, is there enough volume here to rely on Marquise Brown? I still really don't feel comfortable relying on Marquise Brown because I think the touches or the the catches are kind of a product of touchdowns, I should say, a product of – I mean, Lamar Jackson understands, like, that they have to have this connection going. So he seems like he's been trying to force the issue – and Marquise Brown just like still hasn't been taking it and running with it. Like still like so many egregious drops. Like he could have just a few like glorious box scores mixed in there, but they're just not because they're still, even with Lamar being like very assertive and like understanding like, we have to get this going as a team. Marquise is kind of like Jalen Regering it and it's just like not happening. And, uh, but I mean, the, the matchup is so good. He's forcing the issue as I just said, like five times um, where there's certainly sky high upside there. It just would have been nice to see him actually hit that once or twice. And the, the opportunity for like a monster DF, a slate flipping uh, type performance will be there. Yeah, I mean, they're projected for 29 points. That's like the most of the weekend. And yeah, it just comes down to the Titans. They, they would be Super Bowl contenders if they even had an average defense, but they don't. They have like one of the worst defenses has been like that the entire year. And Adoree Jackson coming back hasn't helped out their secondary much at all either. So the Ravens don't have that many ancillary pieces. It's like Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, J.K. Dobbins, Lamar Jackson, a little bit Gus Edwards, that you can project like Marquise Brown for a lot of touchdowns um, if they can make a run in the playoffs just because, I mean, they're projected for 29 points. And how many touchdowns is, is freaking Des Bryant and the rest of those guys going to score? Uh, this Challenge play? accepted. <laughs> there you go. Are you buying in on what we've seen from Mark Andrews recently? Arguably his most consistent stretch of the season, averaging five catches, nearly 70 yards a game over the last five sure it's the tight end position and overall uh even throughout the playoffs andrews is the number two tight end in my opinion maybe you can rope tunyon into there but it's kelsey number one clearly and then andrews sure uh especially if you think if you play in one of those formats where you get potentially two or three games out of the guy then you think the ravens win this game and and then compete in the next round as well so yeah i think andrews is fine i think i think the key point though is that with Willie Sneed likely back this game, that there are still more mouths to feed. And Lamar Jackson, although he's been feeding Marquise Brown more, it still isn't up to par of what we expected, nor is it what it was last year. And so I think he still just continues dumping off to a ton of different guys, Des Bryant and uh, Miles Boykin included. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Two games to go, guys. Second to last game of the weekend, the 12-4 and Saints hosting Mitch Trubisky and the 8-8. Mm. and <laughs> the Saints are favored by 10 with a total of 47 in this one. Uh, I think we procrastinate talking about Trubisky and the Bears for a while, so let's start on the New Orleans side of things. With the game taking place on Sunday, we expect Alvin Kamara to be back from the COVID list. 
When we last saw him, he was rushing for 155 yards, six touchdowns against the Vikings. Pat, any reservations for you when it comes to Kamara coming straight off the COVID list and back into action against the Bears? I have reservations about a Bears Island game in the damn playoffs. I just thought we could get the Bears out of our lives. Um, but uh, I mean, I do have some reservations. Thankfully, it's in New Orleans. So he, he doesn't have to go through any weird like uh, machinations, like f- taking a private plane to the game because he can't be with the team until Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. Like he can't even like, like, so if the game had been on the road, he would have had to take a private plane to Chicago. Um, but I mean, it's weird because they had Saints had so many moving parts in the second half of the season. The guys in and out of the lineup, including the quarterback, is Michael Thomas coming back? By the way, I haven't read Roto World all day. Uh, he so was just- limited at practice on Wednesday, but we have it on good authority from Nick Underhill via other websites that uh, Kamara and Michael Thomas are both going to go here. Yes, I mean, Kamara. The only thing I would say is that yeah, the Saints didn't get a chance to kind of hit on all cylinders down the stretch where everyone was healthy at once. But, I mean, Alvin Kamara knows his offense like the back of his hand. And the chemistry between him and Drew Brees is like preternatural. Like, it should be good. I would have preferred if he could, like, have at least seen his teammates before Sunday. But you're really kind of stretching to, like, look for that as a concern. I mean, I guess we're concerned maybe about COVID wind. I mean, like, will he have his stamina? We don't know what his COVID case was like. But that would be really the only concern. I will say if there's anybody I need to trust to just go in only playing – after Zoom meetings, it would be a Gen Zer. Like you got to trust these these young guys with how they can handle things on the internet and watching these videos. So I, I'm fully confident in Alvin Kamara uh, this week. I will say, Saints best roster in football. They don't have the best quarterback by any means. They're like not even the same tier. But front seven, back the secondary, the offensive line with Michael Thomas and Kamara. I think this is the best roster, and I think we're kind of forgetting how good this team could be just because all the attention's been on Drew Brees. But I do think Kamara back will help. I do think Michael Thomas is going to be a huge difference maker. They they were getting stuff out of Marquez Callaway, an undrafted free agent as well. So I think that if there's a team that anyone's sleeping on just in general, to me, it's the Saints. I think they're like definitely Super Bowl contenders. I think they're just as good as the Packers. Obviously, they're going to have to go to Green Bay to beat the Packers if they can get there. But I think that they're, they're probably the most slept on team in all football right now. I agree. I think I just have Saints postseason PTSD since their Super Bowl run, since they have perpetually let us down in these big games every single year. Recall even last year, uh, and maybe I'm just affected by regency bias, but they were seven-point favorites, opened at home against the Vikings, closed as seven-and-a-half-point favorites, and then Dalvin Cook came in and ran all over them. And we know what the Bears want to do. They want David Montgomery to handle the ball. Six games since he returned from injury, 23.3 touches per game, just under six yards per touch. And in that six-game span, the Bears have run the ball at the seventh-highest run play rate and neutral game script. Meanwhile, the last month, that's where the Saints have actually been attacked uh, with the most success. Miles Sanders and Jalen Hurts went over 100. CEH and Bell averaged 4.8 yards per attempt. Dalvin Cook and Abdullah averaged over five yards per carry. And then just last week, um, in a game that the Panthers were pretty much packing it in, Rodney Smith got 47 yards on 10 carries. So I am slightly concerned, but again, it should be one, should be, where the Saints just take care of business. Should be. The Saints too, just though they they get screwed. They were a thirteen and three wild card team last year, yeah. and this year they would have had the buy under the old playoff format. And just if a team ever needed a buy, a team that has dealt with the number one receiver being out of late, the quarterback missing time of late, and Alvin Kamara having coronavirus of late, 
it's just a little, even for such a veteran, such an experienced playoff team, that's kind of just like a lot to have to deal with ahead of the most important game of the season. If the Saints had gotten their bye like normal, they would have been like a high key, like Super Bowl favorite and like talked about it like the same breath as all the main contenders. But I think that's, I think that's why they're underrated. It's just, I, I'm trusting that they're going to get there without having seen it. And I think that most people are just kind of just, they want to see it first before it happens. But I think that if you just look at big picture with what they have up front on both sides of the ball, plus the skill talent, it's, they're just so dominant in like so many different phases. They don't have like a true weakness. I would say maybe deep passing would be their true weakness. But that now with Michael Thomas back, I think mean, you have enough difference makers to like move the chains consistently to kind of mask that one element. Speaking of Michael Thomas, we haven't seen him in nearly a month. We haven't seen him play with Drew Brees for even longer than that. We saw some of his best games this season come with Taysom Hill just locking onto him, Daigle. Do you think we're going to see finally – after all this time off, vintage Michael Thomas connecting with Drew Brees? I think so. And remember, the Bears secondary struggled the past month, mostly due to injuries. They were banged up across the board, specifically at their slot cornerback when Michael Thomas will attack. So we can't even really take Thomas's stats this year and the few games he played with Drew Brees seriously because even in those three games, he was injured when he tried to play. And also uh, the volume just wasn't even close to what it was last year. So I do think he comes out assuming both him and Kamara are active. I think Thomas is a, a terrific play for those fantasy playoff contests. I think he's an amazing play. All right, we're going to talk about this Bears offense for a moment. David Montgomery smashed some really favorable matchups down the stretch. His last six games, over 820 yards from scrimmage, eight touchdowns, with the exception of the game against the Eagles that Daigle mentioned. The Saints haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher since 1910. Hayden, <laughs> do you give Montgomery and this Bears rushing game, any chance of basically keeping the Bears in it? No, I, I just don't see it. I mean, they have so many guys up front. Damara Davis, Marcus Davenport, David Onyemata, Cameron Jordan, Malcolm Brown, Sheldon Rakin. Like These are like plus starters, and they're like, they go deep into the rotation to use these guys. And they ha- also have the cornerback to kind of take away Allen Robinson, Marshawn Lattimore. They have plenty of safeties. They might get Marcus Williams back at free safety as well, so... It's just one of these situations where the, the Saints have enough guys to match up with one-on-one, and you I don't trust Mitchell Trubisky, obviously, to make too many plays himself. And for, all, for as good as Mitchell Trubisky's stats have been, like we said, it's come against the easiest matchups in the world. You give Sean Payton a full week to, to prepare for Mitchell Trubisky, I, I'd like to see what happens. Yep. To have any chance whatsoever, I mean, they're going to need some Mitchell Trubisky with his legs action because the stat that Matt was joking about, the Saints, 100-yard rushers, it finally got broken just like in a freak show game with Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders. And so they're going to need some like jailbreaks um, from Mitchell Trubisky. And David Montgomery, as we know, won fantasy leagues down the stretch. But as we also know, it was all about the schedule. And, you know, good for him because in the past, he wouldn't even take advantage of those matchups. But the Saints, one of the, as Hayden alluded to with all the talent, one of the very best uh, run defenses off football, the allowed the fewest running back fantasy points this season. And like the David Montgomery, like fun ends now. And they're, they're going to need some fluke freak show plays for Mitchell Trubisky to have any chance. Yeah. I think if they do win, it's actually with Montgomery as the engine and the saints offense out of just being out of sync from like not playing together for X amount of uh, weeks this year. But other than that, I just can't imagine. I mean, the Saints have to win this. They have they, to win. They really they actually have to. It would be they, a disaster. They give us another Chicago Bears game. I, I seriously might have to retire. Well, and they're negative 95 million against the cap. 
for next year too. So like this is like this is their year. Like it's and, this year, and then they're going to tank for a couple of years. And Saints actually adjusted for opponents. Saints defense actually finished number two and DVOA metric uh, behind the Rams. All right, we're going to close things out here, guys, with a game that has a lot of question marks, some serious twenty twenty vibes. The eleven and five Browns at the twelve and four Steelers. Browns back in the playoffs for the first time since 2002 when Hayden was an infant. Steelers favored by six with a total of 48 in this game. A big storyline, obviously, on the Cleveland side is that the Browns will be without head coach Kevin Stefanski, who tested positive for COVID-19. That means special teams coordinator Mike Prefer will take over as head coach. Alex Van Pelt, the offense coordinator, will call plays. Pat Stefanski sounds like he's trying to downplay this whole thing, how much is actually going to matter. How much do you think this is actually going to matter for the Browns? A lot of times it wouldn't probably matter as much as we might think. Like even if it was like someone like Andy Reid, you know, one of the best player callers of all time, everyone's so familiar with his system in Kansas City. You know, all of his lieutenants know what they want to do. All the players know what they want to do. This was Kevin Stefanski's first year in Cleveland. And he's kind of like the guy who was like been single-handedly turning this around. I mean, he's been getting all the coach of the year love because I mean, this was clearly one of those times where a coach really did have like a massive impact. And so Kevin Stefanski being gone is actually going to be a big deal. And, you know, they've had you know, Wyatt Teller's coming back. So, you know, we know that they want to pave teams, the running game, but Wyatt Teller was out, but he he's coming back when the Joel Batonio's out and they have more issues up front. And it, it can be very easy to overrate a thing like a coach. But, I mean, Kevin Stefanski, I think, this, especially since it's the first year, just the, everyone in his system, he's like uniquely important coach to this team right now. And even with Kevin Stefanski last week, you know, they barely beat uh, Mason Rudolph and are now rematching with the same. I mean, ben Roethlisberger, I believe, is probably still better than Mason Rudolph, right, Hayden? Uh, back me up, uh, guys. Yes, yes. <laughs> he's better than Mason Rudolph still. And the fact that they barely even sealed the deal against this team at home last week when they were more at full strength than they're going to be this week uh, is concerning. Dale, would you agree that the Browns are also like more scheme dependent than like player yes. dependent as well? So like when you're going comparing it to like an Andy Reid type, you still have Patrick Mahomes who creates all the time. I'm not really seeing too much creation from Baker Mayfield and the rest of the guys outside of just let Nick Chubb run like a madman. But um, yeah, I think I think Kevin Stefanski like really moves the needle here. Agree and. I know some very smart people who think there was an overcorrection in the line. The Steelers were three and a half point favorites and given all the news got bumped up all the way to six point favorites. And maybe that is too much, but all of those things to me still are overshadowed by the fact that the Browns secondary is horrible. And that's the only point I was looking at going into this game. I was making fantasy lineups and thought, Oh, like Rothberg is a great play because they're just going to throw all over this defense. It's a very short, small sample size, I know. Uh, And six games prior to week 16, the last time we saw the Steelers' offense at full strength, yes, like Ross Berger was dumping down a ton. And they did that again in week 16 against the Colts. He threw for 93 yards. Uh, They got just 3.3 yards per play in that first half. They came out in the second half. Roethlisberger ignored LC Randy Fickner, and he started calling his own plays. And he launched it for 260 yards, 7.2 yards per play, and and 8.5 yards per attempt. And so I just wonder if they're going to come out and allow him to call his own plays. Because if so, I can imagine them steamrolling the Browns, especially without, you know, a 
coach of the year candidate without a the number six overall guard at pro football focus available for this game not to mention the two backups who would play in his spot in this game i think is a really really bad spot for the browns and john also not to mention you're talking about the browns horrible pass defense olivier vernon popped his achilles right. last week and had almost 10 sacks and was really good opposite uh, miles garrett so it just seems <laughs> like the football Gar- gods as usual are uh, conspiring against the Cleveland. miles garrett has been uh, less impactful since he returned from the COVID list as well and to round this out, the secondary, it's Denzel Ward's probably not going to play on the COVID list. The guy backing him up, Kevin Johnson, also on the COVID list. He's probably not going to play. They already lost Grant Delpit, their second round strong safety this year. He's out for the season. Grady Williams, their number two corner, he's been out all year too. So it's not just like Harrison Bryan, the fantasy guys that we know. It's like Andrew Sandejo's out. It's the backup <laughs> offensive guard, his backup. It's like, it's just a total mess right now. The Browns are like very obviously the least healthy team in all the playoffs. And like, to, to me, I think the, I think the six point correction, it seems fair to me. I would even be betting on the Steelers at this point. I think that's a lot to overcome. I think it should have opened six. Like I was shocked it opened at her four. Right. I, I, a message from the Cleveland Browns, uh, wash your hands, wear a mask, <laughs> keep your distance. And uh, we'll beat this together folks. And do, oh. do do less drag racing down the streets as well. That, that, yeah, <laughs> uh, also to that point, Hayden, They've, the Browns have played three games without Denzel Ward this year. They allowed the second most yards for play in those three games. Again, um, I didn't even need to see the Cam Stefanski news. I just thought the line was off immediately when I saw because Brown's secondary is atrocious. Well, speaking of that, Diggle, I want to just ask you, you know, we know that means Deontay Johnson. We know that means Juju Smith-Schuster, who played much better over the last 11 games. What about Chase Claypool? He went over 100 yards last week, broke a five-game scoreless streak. That was catching passes from Mason Rudolph. Does that match up? make you more inclined to use Claypool and DFS? Oh, yeah. And fantasy playoff uh, tournaments. Remember that Tomlin came out and said that they were a little concerned about uh, Chase Claypool hitting the rookie wall, and so they scaled him back. Hence why his snaps were really weird the past three games. I think he comes out and is unleashed in this game. Uh, is Deontay Johnson the better play in DFS and you know FFPC and FFC, all those tournaments? Yeah, his floor is much higher. But can Claypool get there on lighter usage? Absolutely, because he's much more explosive. So Claypool's like, in any format you play, if you're playing fantasy this week, he's one of my favorite pivots on the entire slate. Just noting that down real quick. That's that's the strongest (laughs) take we've had on this podcast. I'm going to go enter the underdog fantasy drafts. I want to quickly circle back to the Browns for a second. You guys sound like you think the Browns are are potentially going to get smashed in this one. Does that take Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt pretty much off the table for you if you're looking at you know playoff fantasy and DFS? Hayden? Uh, <laughs> I don't – like I, they both can get there still. They're, I mean it's it's a big ask though. I mean the the one thing I will say, the Steelers are also missing some guys. It's not the cleanest. Bud Dupree, their edge rusher's out. Devin Bush, he's out. Robert Spillane, he's been out. And same with his backup at linebacker, Ulysses Grant. And then they have Joe Hayden on the COVID list too. So it's not the cleanest – slate on the Steelers side as well on defense. Um, so Nick Chubb could get there. I mean, he's just so explosive. He's probably, it's him and Derek Henry and maybe Dalvin cook in like tier one uh, for like between the tackles ball carriers. So I don't want to bet against that too often. Yeah, Chubb's workloads are kind of weird down the stretch. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, we also know, I mean, this is this, the Browns formula. I mean, the only way they're going to do this is with the running game. Like they've done it and they're just going to have to rely on Nick, Nick Chubb. I think you can still, Especially in these small slates, a three-game slate, you know, you're not going to have the, the luxury of going away from the job. 
Yeah, I think he's a terrific contrarian option. Like, how do the Browns beat the Steelers? They run all over them, and they would do that via Nick Chubb's legs. So that's why you would pick him because the uh, the rest of your the entries in that tournament are not picking him. He's coming in at a great uh, roster percentage, and thus you just roster him, telling yourself a unique story. I think that's why he's a good option. All right, two more names I want to ask you guys about from this game. Jarvis Landry picked up all three of his receiving touchdowns over the last five games, added a rushing score last week. Hayden, does it feel like there's anything to build on there with Landry in a game where the Browns are likely trailing? Yeah, I mean, Joe Hayden being out helps helps his status, and I think if we're all projecting the Steelers to kind of maybe possibly run away with this game, uh, he's going to be the guy that they're going to get the ball to. Rashard Higgins is... He's like a deep threat, and that's like kind of where he maxes out at. And I'm not sure how much run they're going to give Austin Hooper. So I, I can see Jarvis Landry coming out with eight to ten to twelve targets in this game. I think he's like a if this was like a season long thing, I would say that he's like an upside wide receiver too. Obviously, you have to adjust because there's only twelve teams playing or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think he's one of the one of the better, safer wide receiver plays on those on the slate. Landry has in the last five games, and we're using that that threshold, not only because you mentioned it, Matt, because that's when they stopped playing weather games. They had those three torrential wind and rain games in a row that we're going to have to throw out even when we do off-season analysis. So from week 12 on, Landry has a 28% target share compared to Rashad Higgins, 18.5%. And Higgins does lead in air yards, but even Landry's getting the money targets. Uh, 11 to 6 in red zone targets over Higgins and 5 to 4 in end zone targets. So Landry still has a high floor for playoffs. Landry's targets have been up down the stretch. Uh, Kadero Hodge has coronavirus. Donovan Peoples-Jones is trying to come back from concussion. So, yeah, it certainly adds up to a very, very oh, high target. he's concussed? I, did, I actually didn't know that. Because Kadero Hodge and then Kadero Hodge is on the COVID list, and Higgins has the drag racing ticket. So, I guess, <laughs> he like, Higgins is going to get suspended for, like, one play or something. I mean, uh, it's like, like Tywan Taylor, the third receiver? I think it is Tywan Taylor. But he has, like, he's played, like, don't Maybe he ran like 35 routes this year. It's, it's been bad. <laughs> you know damn well who Taiwan Taylor is. I barely do. I feel like we really missed an opportunity to talk more about drag racing on this episode. <laughs> yeah. I hear uh, like F1. Dude, people are into F1. It's like wrestling. Like no one's just barely into it. Everyone knows everything about it. Uh, I don't know though. I've never watched a single F1 race in my life or drag racing. So I, I don't have a clue. I would like to see. I would like to see Jedrick Wills one of those drag, those he can't uh, fit. speeds. Yeah, there's no way he can fit in that. And I don't think that his weight was probably going to be helping that. It's like jockeys. Horse jockeys have to be like four two. You can't yeah. weigh three fifty and fit into a drag <laughs> race car. Right. I want to quickly ask before we get out of here, guys. We expect the Steelers to be winning in this game. We know that the place to attack the Browns is in the secondary, but I, I feel obligated for some reason to ask about James Conner. He wasn't good. Didn't have a lot of volume down the stretch. Is there any universe where he finally gets back to form and has a decent game here? The Steelers are just like this. they're on that Bills and that Chiefs diet at this point, aren't they? This like they run like if they need to, but they just never really need to, and they've just decided that the the way they're going to move the ball is passing no matter what, and it's hard to find reasons uh, for optimism for James Conner. And more importantly, that we've seen like Conner's the bell cow. But it doesn't matter if he's a bell cow when he's getting to 10, 12 touches because they don't run the ball. And then also they'll bring Benny Snell in for one or two goal line carries, which is terrible, not only because it takes away from Connor's money touches, but also Snell is horrible and can't break tackles. So he just runs into the line and no one ends up scoring. So it's just a, it's bad news overall for the Steelers backfield. 
Yeah, I think it's a it's an identity thing for the Steelers. They they just have been so pass reliant. I don't think that you can just all of a sudden say like, all right, now we're going to be a, a plus run blocking team yeah. like going into the playoffs. I would say the only thing maybe James Conner's a little more rested after kind of the second half, taking a back seat, missing some games, letting Benny Snell do the work. But like like you guys said, it's you don't just like turn on the switch and become a, a really high end run blocking team, especially when James Conner and Benny Snell are just like forgettable guys in themselves especially when that's the browns defense strength uh yeah. so yeah it's it's hard all right that's gonna do it for us as always subscribe to the show on apple podcasts on spotify or wherever you listen we'll be back on tuesday to recap all the action from we'll be back on monday right we will be back on monday for a review show discuss the wild card round and then uh if you're listening to this before wednesday hayden and i will be here for a the dfs building block show 6 p.m eastern talking both three game slates pat your q and a's are done on friday now right they're done they're gone you're lucky you (laughs) daigle pat hayden thanks for being here guys thanks to all of you for listening we'll see you next week the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keep for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand